Well, I just wanna also wish all of our fathers here a happy Father's Day. I'm seeing some tables out behind you that I believe uh, are Father's Day gifts for your dads, and so please, whether it's the north doors there or these east ones, there's a table there, grab something. I'm still not quite all sure what, what they cooked up for you guys, but I can see them from here, so grab one on your way out. And uh, um, that's just a little way of saying thank you for being dads and great dads. Um, if you have a Bible with you, would you turn to the book of Hebrews? There are some, I'm, I think, n- new people here, and, uh, or those that haven't been here for a while, and we are going slowly through the book of Hebrews. We are now in chapter, the last part of chapter six, um, verses 13 through 20. Verses 13 through 20. Hebrews chapter six, verses 13 through 20. I think I'll read it now, and then uh, we'll go through it piece by piece uh, um, through the message. Um, when, uh, verse 13, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, He swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He has confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us um, may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Father God, Thank you for the truths that are embedded in this uh, passage. Um, I think that my fondest wish and desire, and I know that I speak for people here because they're here, is to um, get something that speaks personally to their hearts and that you can take out of this place with them from Monday to Saturday and come back for more next Sunday. We want to hear from your voice, your, your holy mountain, your inner sanctuary, we want it to go right into our spirit and, and impact us I, in ways that we couldn't have manufactured on our own today. So just speak to us, Father, through your Holy Spirit, through your word, in, in real ways. And bless those next door who are ministering with our kids. Lord, give them extra joy and patience and insight as to how to uh, encourage these little ones. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have to say, in all truthfulness, that for me anyway, and I think probably I can speak for most of you, that one of the greatest pleasures or thrills or blessings as a Christian um, is to come to know many of the promises of God in the Bible that we're entitled to claim for ourselves, and then to claim that promise in faith and then watch God in his perfect timing make good on that promise before our very eyes. That to me is one of the most sacredly fun things that I experience. 
as a Christian. To have a need, to get into the word, to see where God promises to fulfill that need, and then in his timing, watch him do that right before my eyes. I just, I just think that's one of the neatest things to experience as a believer. And I would have to say that those times really honestly are the most refreshing, renewing, rejuvenating, reviving times in my life. Don't you just love to watch God work in front of your very eyes? It's just so, it just makes God so much more real every time that happens. And it's the reality that we need to, um, to have and it strengthens our relationship with God. Um, God gives us a lot of promises in scripture. There's one book written called The Promises of God by Her- Herbert Lockyer, and I think he says there's like between five and 6,000 promises in the Bible. I've never, I don't know, I can't verify that or not, but there's, there are hundreds, and I would say even thousands of promises in the Bible, and contrary to what we might think, God loves to make good on them. He does, he likes to fulfill his promises to us, and he wants to encourage us and bless us with uh, the fulfillment of his promises in our life, okay? Now, as I thought about it this week, I thought, usually the times, for me anyway, that we need God to make good on his promises is when we're in trouble. <laughs> That's when we really go, God, help, fulfill your promises. No, we're, we're, was, we need the fulfillment of his promises when we're tired, when we're in trouble, when we're hurting, when we're confused, when we're mistreated or misunderstood, or you know, we need guidance, or there's a particular need that so far has gone unmet in our life, and that's when we call out to God for him to fulfill his promises in our life. And that's the time when we need to get into the Bible and really mine for the gold of God's promises and then claim them in faith um, so that we can have our needs met uh, in the time and the way that they uh, need to be met. And those are the crucial times when we have to resist trying to fix stuff ourselves. Don't raise your hand, but are anybody fixers? Are you a fixer? You know, by the, by the laughter that I hear, that makes most of us, the worst thing you can do is when you run into a brick wall or a barrier in your life, and by the way, God knows about it, newsflash, um, is to not try to fix it, but find a corresponding promise in the word of God, and then by faith, claim that promise and watch God work. It is so much, and I say this in a sacred way, fun to see God fulfill his promises in our life. Well, the writer to the book of Hebrews knew that. He knew it. And he knew that these readers, to his letter to them, were struggling. They were struggling. They were, they were struggling. They were um, going through difficulties. And they needed to be assured that God was with them and that he was answering their promise or that he would uh, answer, uh, fulfill his promises in their life. And I, don't, I told you at the end, when I introduced this book that I don't think that the book of Hebrews is all that different from today in many respects. And that we go about life hitting trials and temptations and roadblocks and barriers and frustrations and delays that we struggle with and we get discouraged and sometimes we feel like just throwing in the towel and we need to hear about God's, the fulfillment of God's promises too, amen? 
and they were being persecuted for their faith. They had been, they were, and they were moving into more persecution as their world darkened against Christ. Sound familiar? And so I just love the way the book corresponds with our, with our life. And so today we're gonna talk about the promises of God, and we're gonna answer this question. What does God want us to know about his promises? And I'm gonna give you four things from this passage that God wants us to know about his promises for your life and for mine. Now, number one, some promises of God are for today, and some are for eternity. Some are from, for today, and some are for eternity. Let's look at those both. God's promises are for today. This is not some thing that should sit on the coffee table collecting dust. This is full of promises for you today. Um, there are so many that we can choose from at any given time. And by the way, any promise in the scripture that God gives you is fair game. It's fair game, okay? It's for you to acquire from God by faith. By, wh which also, I would have to say, that necessitates that you get into this book. Where's God now? He's right here. You know that thing on your coffee table? Or bedside table or whatever? He, that, that's where they are, and you aren't gonna, you're not gonna be able to acquire those unless you, you, you and I, I'll put us together, stick our nose in this book and read it and discover all these great things that God is willing to do for us when, in our time of need, for today. And you know, there are so many good ones, and I, I could spend the rest of the time here, but some of my favorite promises, and I did not put them on the screen, so, but I'm just gonna run through some of my favorite promises. I love his promise for leading and guidance. I was expecting a little bit more reaction from that one, but uh, don't you need God's leading and guidance all the time? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Man, that's a beauty. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. How many people ever get, get under the influence of fear? Whew. Even today, right? I mean, so, and we could, I could name dozens of ways that we, we can fear in life. Fear for our parents, fear for our children, fear for our country, fear, you know, uh, yeah, blah, blah, you could just fear. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That is a promise. That's not just wishful thinking. That's just not something somebody wrote centuries ago. That is up to today right now. It's a promise, you can claim it. I've got so many here I'd like to go through. I really honestly do not have the time to do that. But you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some of the heavy hitters, okay? Just for grins and giggles. I wanna do that. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Never gets old, does it? All your needs. I love that. Um, here in Hebrews 13.5, God's presence, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Never. Never. Oh, what's some other good ones here? Oh, here's one of my beauties. 
for anxiety. So, so easy to start worrying about things. I'll worry about this and I worry about that and I worry and I worry and I worry. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that transcends, that passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I've had times in my life where I'm so overwhelmed by anxiety and then I go to this and it's a brutal knife fight with my emotions, but once I claim that in Thanksgiving, God gives me a supernatural peace. Anybody ever have that? It, oh, it's, isn't it wonderful? I mean, wow. And there's all kinds of promises that God has a sovereign plan for our life and he's working it out that, that God will forgive us when we confess our sins, promises for his protection, promises that he'll give us wisdom for every situation that we face. If anybody, James 1, if anybody of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And he will give it to you without finding fault if you trust him for it. And that God cares, casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you, that's a promise. I mean, there's, I just could go on and on. So many more. But in our, in our text this morning, uh, we're gonna see the great promise of God's faithfulness to a guy by the name of Abraham. Abraham. And you're probably, most of you that have studied your Bible or heard sermons for any length of time, you're familiar with Abraham. And God made a promise to Abraham in the 12th chapter of Genesis. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those that bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's a pretty big promise. I mean... You're in your little pagan country worshiping your pagan gods and all of a sudden God reveals himself to you and says, Get, go rent the U-Haul, you're moving, you know? And, huh? To a place I don't, never heard of, never, blah, blah, blah. And God says, no, it's gonna be fine. You're gonna have a nation come out of your loins more vast than all the stars in the sky and the dust on the earth and the sand in the seashore. Problem was, if we went up to the 16th chapter of Genesis, We'd find out that his wife, Sarah, was barren. She could not have children. And then all sorts of other obstacles uh, come into play, barriers, ups and downs. But to make a long story short, God came through in the end to give Abraham a son, Isaac, and ultimately through Isaac, a great nation. Now, I want to say this just in all seriousness, okay? That's how it works for all of God's promises. All of them, every single one of them to you today in, this, in, this, uh, uh, in his word. All of them work the same way. God makes the promise, and one way or another, at some time or another, whether it's immediate or somewhere down the line or way down the line, he will answer that promise. I wish I had time today just to go through all of these promises. I named some, and uh, by the way, just as an insight into way, the way I live, I have all those and more promises on a piece of paper on the coffee table next to my chair where I have my daily time in God's word and prayer. And there are times when I take this Bible and I don't read my 
my portion of scripture for the day what I'm reading through. I'm in such a sense of need that I just, I pick up that list and I just bring it over in front of me and then I go through the scriptures and read all these promises. And that's what God wants you to do. I don't know what you came in with this morning, whether it's one of these here on the list, right? You need his guidance, his leading, you're, 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 you're fearing something, you're in a state of doubt, you're going through, you need strength for something, you're going through some difficulties, you, you just need a sense of God's presence, you feel like your heart's the Sahara Desert, or maybe Death Valley. I heard it's 129 degrees there yesterday. You're full of anxiety about something. You want to know that God's working out something in your life. And they're all there. And they work the same as the promise for Abraham. It's it's no different. Because he wants to encourage us. And they, I'll tell you what, these Hebrew Jewish believers, when they heard the name Abraham, it was an immediate identification. Because they were Jews. And he was their great patriarch. And so the writer is writing them saying, look, God will fulfill his promises to you if you know and claim them. And they were encouraged because they were going through the not hold backwards, as they say. And the same is true for you and your circumstances today. I don't even care what it is. It doesn't matter. So God's promise is for today. And it's also for eternity I don't know if you kind of took hold of that in verses 18 through 20, but it pivots. The passage pivots. It goes from Abraham, and then right about, I guess about the middle of the passage, it pivots into the whole idea of the blessing and beauty and wonder and, oh my goodness, joy of our eternal security in Christ. And that no matter what happens on this crazy earth, this, may I say it, evil earth, this devolving earth. I believe in the theory of de-evolution. How about you? And the world around us is devolving. But it says there that no matter what, you, once you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that can never be taken away from you. Obviously, in the book of Hebrews, we talked about the fact that um, it's not... Um, whether you can lose your salvation, it's whether you ever had it to begin with. And that's manifested by a certain level of fruit. We all have different fruit or growth rates, but there's gonna be some evidence of a true conversion. And we've talked about that. But if you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, nothing can take that away. And they needed to hear that. Boy, did they ever need to hear that, because you know what? Some would pay... Uh, with their lives. And I don't know where we're going as a world. I know all around the world people are paying with their lives for their uh, faith in Christ. I was reading about that yesterday in, us, in an African country. I, I don't even want to go into the details of how badly they're suffering for Christ. Maybe, I don't know. I, I am not a, I don't tell the future but we are definitely heading into a more of an anti-Christ spirit in the Western world. But regardless, it doesn't matter. 
because nothing is gonna keep us from going to heaven forever. Do I get an amen on this Father's Day? Nothing, nothing. Did I mention nothing? Can take that away. This little cosmic blink of an eye we call this life is gonna be over. And we're going right into the presence of Almighty God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and nothing can take it away. So God's promises are for now and for forever. And I'll re-mention this at the end of the passage because that's how it flows. That's how the passage flows. Let's go to the second thing he wants us to know about his promises. They are God-ordained, not man-created. They are God-ordained, not man-created. Look at verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, you said you're just on the first part of the first verse? How long are we gonna be here this morning? We got a Father's Day deal going. Don't worry, I'll get you out of here. Eventually. And, um, but you know, we don't create the promises, God does. And that's a good thing because there is a lot of false teaching trying to wiggle its way and has wiggled its way into the body of Christ. Lots of it. Lots of it. And some people call it the name it and claim it teaching or the blab it and grab it, you know, whatever you want to call it. But it's that teaching that comes out of the health, wealth, prosperity gospel or the speak it into existence school of thought that says, you know, since you're a child of God, you are pretty much equal with God, and so all you need to do is speak what you want into existence, and it'll happen if you have enough faith. And I don't know very many things that have done more damage to the church than that in recent times. Um, God is the one that makes the promises, not us, okay? They're right here. And please be aware of that. You know, God creates the promises. If someone says, God told me, check up on them. Don't buy it, hook, line, and sinker. I could say a lot more about that, but it just gets me really angry, so I think I'll stop right now. Because I look at those guys and I think, they're charlatans. They're charlatans. We don't create reality, right? God creates reality. And we fall in line with God. Amen? We fall in line with God. We say, where do I, how do I know what God's, right here, again, go to the back of your coffee table or your bedside table or wherever you keep this and, you know, see what God has in mind for us. I do want to say one thing before I go to our third point. God's promises can also come directly through the Holy Spirit. I mean, Obviously, most of what we get from the Lord, 99 point whatever, but I believe that God speaks to us directly through the Holy Spirit. He nudges, you know. He makes impressions, and he whispers. And I have a promise that God has given me. It's not fulfilled yet, but, and I know it's from God. Um, Now, you say, how do I know? Because... I just know the Holy Spirit has said, that's yours. In my time, in my way, and for my glory and your blessing, but it's yours. And so God, the Holy Spirit can talk to us, but beware of the people that say, God told me, 
You know, people make, take license with that, don't they? It's got to be of God. But it happens, thank goodness. And so, God's promises are for today, your particular situation, and for eternity, and they are God-ordained, not man-created. We don't create the reality. God does. And then, let's, this is, this is going to be fun now. God's promises are ironclad. Ironclad. Okay? They're always trustworthy. When the Lord makes a promise, okay, and in this case regarding his faithfulness to Abraham to make from him a great nation, regardless of how crazy the circumstances look or how desperate the circumstances look, and remember that, by the way, because weren't there times in Abraham's life when it just didn't look like things were going to (laughs) happen? I mean, when you're 100 years old and your wife is 90, yeah, pregnancy's just not in the cards, right? And it's easy when life just is slapping you in the face or it just doesn't seem like you can get over the barrier. (laughs) God's promises are still ironclad. My God shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And maybe there's someone that comes here and says, man, I have a financial need. And I don't know how I'm going to make these two nickels that I'm rubbing together multiply into what I need. God says, no sweat. I promised you, my promise is ironclad. Now, I'm not saying that we should heed the words of that great theologian, Janis Joplin, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? I just, I'm trusting God. No, but he says he will supply all of our what? Needs. And sometimes our wants, but according to his will. And God's promises are ironclad. Iron, ironclad. Can you say ironclad with me? Ironclad. Because God, when God makes a statement, it has to fall in line with his character. It has to. It can't be any other way. Okay, it just can't. When the Lord makes a promise, again, in this case, regarding faithfulness to Abraham, to make from him a great nation, he puts his integrity on the line. He puts his unchangeableness on the line. Okay? Now let's look at three things here that make his promises for us in this life ironclad. Oh, we've already kind of covered it in verse 13 and 14. God made the promise. He made the promise. Okay? Like, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. God swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. So that's the first thing. God made the promise. And so if he's going to make a promise, he has to uh, stick by the unchangeableness of his character because God is unchangeable, right? He's immutable. Uh, He's not... What is it, James chapter one says he's not like shifting shadows? Secondly, he confirmed, if that's not enough, he wanted to speak in their language. These struggling, uh, tiring, weakening Hebrew believers. And so he talked about oaths, which was a very common concept there. 
And he confirms the promise by taking an oath upon himself. Look at verse 16. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said. He's just talking about their general, you know, culture. And it puts an end to an argument. In other words, if a person in that culture would say to another person, uh, I'm going to do this for you or whatever, and I swear by, and then they would pick someone greater than themselves, and the person would, okay, would say, okay, the matter's settled. Uh, he's going to be true to his word. That's what an oath was, and they took it very, very seriously in that culture because it was a final confirmation of something, an absolute guarantee of good faith. Breaking an oath in those days was serious business. It really was. Now, God takes an oath on himself, says here. Did I read verse 17? I'll, I'll just do it anyway. Men swear, verse 16, by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. And here's verse 17, guys. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what God had, of what was, of what was promised, he confirms it with an oath. And who did he swear the oath on? Himself. I would say that's a pretty credible person to swear on, right? God. And you ought, you ought to be perking up this morning going, hey, Pastor Mitch, you mean to tell me that every single promise in this Bible is backed up by an oath and the oath is sworn by God and it's sworn on himself? Hey, that's pretty good news this morning. I'm not just reading popular mechanics here or Sports Illustrated or whatever your favorite, ma- you know, it, God swore an oath on himself that the promises are gonna happen? Hot dog. If that doesn't want us to get into the word of God, I don't know, I don't know what to tell you. It's ironclad. It has to happen because he's swearing, making an oath on himself. And then the third thing here is, in verse 18, it says, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, and I'll get to the rest of, uh, after, in a moment, but it says it's really three things in my book that tell us that, um, that God's promises are always, they have to, that he has to, and I love telling God he has to do something, don't you? God, you have to do this because you said, he goes, I know. Thanks for reminding me. You know, he has, if he says don't be anxious for anything, he has to fulfill that promise if we do our part. Anxiety, fear, doubt, depression. On and on it goes. These are hard things, hard things. And I'm so glad, listen, I am so glad that the, that the promises of God puncture our hard things, amen? Man, do we need that today, every day. You know, I want you to look at me up here and think, well, you know, and those of you that know me know this, but some people think, well, you know, you ha- you're a pastor, you have it all together. It's just the opposite. I don't have anything together. I don't. I don't hear any amens. Praise God for that. <laughs> Debbie uttered one under her breath. Did you catch that one? <laughs> no, she didn't. She did not. My biggest supporter, truly, but other than the Lord. But, um, but it's ironclad. Why? Because he, he, he made the promise, and uh, I don't want to forget the second one. Oh, he swore an oath on himself, and, and he can't lie. I, you know, I have, 
this is fun for me. You say, do you have fun when you preach? Oh, not always, but boy, today I do. Because it's so good. This is way better than any Father's Day meal that you're going to get today. My youngest son is smoking a prime rib for me. Yes. Hey, why don't we dismiss now? Just go home. But you want to know the honest truth? This tastes better to me than that. Because it's so where we live, isn't it? And it's impossible for God to lie. And so let me just flesh this out a little bit, and I'll I'll try to get done at a decent hour, but don't hold me to that, because that's not a promise. Okay, I'm not swearing on that. But none of God's promises, whether temporal or for eternal security, once we're saved, can be retracted. They can't be retracted or denied because God said it was so. And he can't lie. He cannot, he has no capacity to lie. Satan is the father of lies. God is the father of of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, now the passage pivots from daily needs and, 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 well, just daily needs, okay, to eternal security. It's, it's pivoting now. It's still God's unchangeable promises, but it's pivoting into eternal security. And you know what? You need to hear it, and I need to hear it, and the Hebrews needed to hear it. Because sometimes it, this world, would you guys agree with me, it gets kind of scary? And sometimes we get embroiled in, our, in the circumstances of our own life or of society or of the world. And we get nervous and anxious. I, I just want to encourage you, nothing can take away our heaven. Nothing. We're going. We're going. And in a, in a, in a millisecond, all of whatever we have experience on earth will be gone. It will be in the rearview mirror and we will go into such a state of productiveness and freedom. We won't even know what anxiety or fear is. We, we won't even have a concept of what sin is. And I mean, I could go on. And that can't be taken away from us. Okay, and the Hebrews needed to hear that because they very well may lose their life. And who knows where we'll go as our world turns darker. But it doesn't matter. That's what made the early church so strong. They said, okay, I die, I die. Why? Because I'm going. There were people, according to history that I've read, I don't know if you believe me, would run to the Colosseum when they were martyring Christians. These are Christians. Because they were so excited about going to be with the Lord it didn't bother them a bit that a lion would have them for lunch. I mean, and that's true with us. Not, I'm not suggesting that we speed that process up because God has a life for us to live for him, but that's what we have. And really, in the end, does anything else really matter, guys? No. That's the all-important issue, isn't it, that we're going to heaven Everything else pales in comparison to that, okay? Getting saved and keeping our salvation uh, and knowing that we're secure for eternity is really ultimately what we ought to be concerned with.
And again, back to the point. The point is that since God has promised that all who come to him through Jesus Christ will be saved, it's impossible for anyone who trusts in Christ not to be saved or to lose their salvation once it's obtained. And I know there are strains of good Christian brothers and sisters who believe you can lose their salvation. And uh, I just don't believe that, uh, that scripturally that point is well proven. I really don't. I, I really like this, uh, this, uh, these verses in, uh, in Romans chapter eight. These guys that do my verses every week, they think, man, he's given us like 150 verses and he uses three of them, you know. But sorry guys, I just don't know what I'm gonna use. But look at Romans 8, uh, 29 and 30. It's really interesting. The promise of our eternal security is so certain that Paul puts it in the past tense even for future believers. Look at verse 29 30 of Romans 8. Uh, for those God foreknew, he predestined, elected, to be, his, to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And this is the juicy part here. And those he predestined, he also called. Fair enough. Those he called, he also justified. Yay, at our point of salvation. But those he justified, he also glorified. God has already glorified us in his eyes before we were ever born. Now you talk about, God doesn't uncall people. He doesn't unsave people. He doesn't unjustify people. He doesn't unglorify people. We're going. He doesn't lie. Pretty cool. God can't lie. He, it's impossible for God to lie. And so not only his temporal promises, but his eternal promise of security cannot be changed once we know the Lord Jesus. I gotta say this for you old timers. If that doesn't peel your potatoes, I don't know what will. I mean, that's what gives us hope. And that's what he talks about right now in hope. Look at verse 18. God did this so that by two unjudgeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take, hope of, uh, take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We need encouragement. It's found right here. He'll meet every need we have because he promised and he has met our need for eternal security through Christ. And it says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. If you want security, don't keep hoarding money. Not wrong to save. If you want security, don't get a new car, although nothing wrong with buying a new car, nothing. If you want security, don't add to your portfolio. It's okay to add to your portfolio, but none of that will really give you security. But when you read this, the joy that comes from knowing that you're connected with Christ now, and that connection can never be severed, that's security. You know, you, you almost want to go this to the world, you know? I hope that's not obscene, but I, I you know... But you know what I mean? We're so far above the world in terms of our source of security, amen? Gosh, they're so, the world is so, 
it hoards money. It, it's, it's like everything has to do with getting more money. And I'm not, again, nothing wrong with money. Nothing. There's nothing evil about money. The love of money, that's another thing. But we have such a higher degree of security. Now quickly, as time flees, I want to go into verse 18 and 19 in, in somewhat detail. I will try to go fast. And really, it just, just talks for itself, okay? But just to say this, that, that God cannot lie. And his character based on his promises regarding our being permanently chosen in Christ is on the line. And he'll never violate his character. He can be trusted to fulfill all his promise to us while we're on earth, but also his promise to take us home once we're saved. And once we have it, we can't lose it. That's not the issue of losing is do we have it? Is there fruit in my life? Some here, some others here, some here, but is there a manifestation of his presence in my life? Or am I just playing games? You want to make sure. But our eternal security is never in doubt because of the unchanging character of God. So let's quickly go through 18. If you put your, fasten your eyes in there. God did this so that by two, I, I say three, in, in unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled. So he's talking about Christians. And that's a word that the Hebrews uh, listeners would have immediately gone in their mind back to now, Numbers chapter 35 because that talks about the cities of refuge where if you actually committed manslaughter um, accidentally and someone in the family of the person who you killed wanted to take your life, there were cities set up that you could run to and be safe. And that's the word that was used there, fled. And so those of us who wanted to escape eternal hell for eternal heaven, we fled to Christ, who is our refuge. That's why I came to know the Lord, because I wanted to go to heaven and not hell, okay? The Holy Spirit just sat on top of me, showed me my future, and it didn't look very good. And I said, Jesus, save me. And I, so I went to the city of refuge. That's what it's talking about, becoming a Christian. And then it says, um, in verse 18, several of these in 18, we took hold of the promise. So that's just what it means is we took hold, we expressed personal faith in Jesus Christ. We repented of our sin. We turned away from it, not perfect, but a different attitude towards our sin, and we turned to Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life. We mean business with Jesus. And we're a follower of Jesus. He's our CEO. He's our priority, our leader, our guide, our director for life. Hope that's true of every one of you here. And so we took hold of Jesus. And, we, and by, it says in verse 18, to the result of great encouragement. Great encouragement. We've been greatly encouraged. And this is why he's writing to these Hebrews who are getting smacked around if they needed encouragement. And there's nothing that will encourage you more than knowing God will meet his, fulfill his promises in your life, your specific gut-wrenching needs, and, um, uh, uh, and to know that you're secure for, for forever. How long is forever, by the way? I don't get it. When I figure that out, I'll let you know. I'll preach a sermon on that. So when, you say, well, when were you gonna do that? I'm not. I mean, 
I'll never figure it out. But forever. Ah, yummy. Uh, and then the promise of hope, of the hope of heaven through Christ, is called an anchor there. And what's the thing on the bumper stickers that we see all the time that tell, supposedly tells us that the people that are driving the car are? What's the, what's the symbol? A fish? Did somebody say fish? Yeah. But you know, there was another symbol just as common or more common in the early church, and that was the symbol of an anchor. There are etchings, or whatever you want to call them, on the sides of the catacombs where Christians used to hide that have anchors all over them. And fishes too, ichthus in the Greek. Why an anchor? Because it's the symbol of security. And you throw that anchor up, not down. You throw it up. And, and it tells us what that anchor is, okay? Let's read verse, the end of verse 18 and 19. Um, we have fled to take hold of the hope offered to, to us that we may be greatly encouraged. And in verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. That it means our mind, our emotions, our will, our eternal, the, the eternal part of us. Firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. I'll stop there. We'll get into Melchizedek next week, uh, more so. But this, this anchor is based on the hope of Jesus's complete and absolute atonement on the cross for our sins. Then he rose from the dead, and then he, if you remember Hebrews 1, he ascended to the right hand of the Father and sat down. Okay? He went through the curtain, quote, unquote. Curtain being a metaphor for what was in the tabernacle, the uh, Old Testament tabernacle and temple. It was a big, thick, fabric, heavy, it's not like a shower curtain or anything like that. It was a big old honking, thick, fabric, tightly woven curtain that when Jesus said it is finished, it ripped right down the middle. And, 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 and that meant we could step into the presence of God through Christ. And Jesus took us through that curtain into the heavenly holy of holies. Where we are now, by the way, did you know that? He said, no, I'm at 29,068 Avenue Northwest, I thought. I mean, I get to pick up one of them Father's Day gifts, don't I? What do you mean I'm in, well, spiritually, you're one with Christ. You're there now, spiritually. We just, our bodies just have to get newly-fied, you know? But you're there. We have a permanent link into the very heavenly holy of holies through Jesus right now. And that's what gives us our security. And nothing can take it away. And Jesus makes intercession for us from that very place. Always. Don't, again, the time thing, I don't get, but he always lives to make intercession for us, as scriptures say. So we have eternal assurance, security in Christ. That link is permanently fixed between us and the resurrected, glorified Christ by his perfect blood. And then that, I think, I, I did ask Dylan to do our closing song on Christ. Where are you, Dylan? Christ is hallowed rock I stand. We're gonna do that. Our anchor holds within the veil. I want you to know that's what that means. 
Sometimes you sing a hymn and you go, what? What was that? That's what it means. Our anchor, our connection with Christ holds within the divine curtain into the very presence of God within that veil. And we stay there forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And I know I'm losing ground here very fast, but I gotta read the scripture to you. It's one of my favorites in all the Bible, Colossians 3, 1 through 3. I just dig this scripture. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now anchored within the veil through what Christ did for us through his death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension. And when we were baptized into him through the Holy Spirit on on the day of our salvation, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. The last thing on the prophetic calendar is his return for his church. And we're connected. God can't lie. We're going. Last thing here, real quick. I'll shorten this one up. Um, this, what's our part in this whole deal? Because we got a part. And the part is in verse 15. So you want to know your part? This has to happen, by the way. If we were to go up to chapter 11, by the way, when we get to chapter 11, we're going to be talking about God's hall of faith. God's hall of faith. But in chapter 11, verse 6 of Hebrews, and I do not have this for the screen, but let me read it to you. Um, It says, um, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So our part is faith. Look at verse 15. Abraham's the model. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. You know, God says he's going to meet, fulfill every promise for every need we have if we trust him. But sometimes patience is involved. I know. I ruined the whole sermon with that, didn't I? But you know what, God doesn't always meet our needs and fulfill his promises right away. And you know why, don't you? Because he wants to mature us. If you gave, as a parent, if you gave your child everything they wanted right away, what kind of child would you have? You'd have a monster. And um, so, the refining process of strengthening our faith. Some of you have been in the waiting room. I'm in the waiting room on some things, but, there is, but he's still true to his promises. And God will never allow us to go past the point of when we need those promises fulfilled. Take that to the bank. But some, he just, you know, I'm thinking about our, getting our new pastor. That's gonna come in God's time. But God's gonna do a lot in us. He's going to purge, wash, cleanse, saddle bus, prune, break, shatter, splinter, and then re-mold and re-encourage and refill and make us just the church he wants us to be for our new guy. And that's why he's not walking through the back door right now. It's, but that's true in every area. So God has his timing. And I really have to just kind of leave it there. But you and I have to have faith. 
we have to have faith. And it doesn't have to be big faith. It just has to be faith. Jesus said if you say to this mountain move, if you have a mustard seed grain of faith, you could say to this mountain move and it'll move. It'll go from here to there. And nothing will be impossible to you. Jesus said you don't need great faith. You just need faith in a great God to be true to his character and his word. Amen? Amen. That's encouraging to me because sometimes I don't have a lot of faith. Isn't it funny how we keep getting in a new situation and we go, how's God gonna get me out of this one? When he's done it like a hundred times before. So you need a grain. You need faith. And I wanna, I wanna honestly close with this scripture. Um, I want us to go to Romans 4. This is very important to me personally as a human being, as a Christian. I love what I'm about to read to you. And I hope you end up loving it too. I do. This will be the final scripture I share with you. This is good. Man, this is good. And, and you're, when you're in Romans 8, and you look at verses, uh, excuse me, did I say 8? Romans 4, sorry. Romans 4, 18 through 21. It talks about Abraham and God. So I'm going to cut it shorter here, but, you know, uh, Abraham believed and, and God gave him the great nation, right, so far? Now listen to this, uh, 19. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. I love that. His body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. Pretty cheery picture, huh? (laughs) And yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God and being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And guys, have you ever just sat there going, man, this situation is just dead. It's got no life. How am I going to get through this? How am I going to get over this? How is this thing going to get resolved? It just doesn't, it looks dead. Am I the only one? And, 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 and I read this thing and I go, yes, God, I'm going to believe you. It might be just a mustard seed. You may came in here and you thought, there's just no way this is fixable. No way I can go forward. No way. I want to tell you something. It might look as good as dead. It might seem barren and dead. But I want to tell you, with faith, nothing is impossible with God when we trust him. I want to encourage you with that. And you can bet your bottom dollar these Hebrew Christians were encouraged. Um, I don't know if Reader's Digest, do they still publish that? They do, really? That used to be my go-to magazine in the dentist's office, you know, and I didn't even know if they still printed it. But I, I have a story that came out of an older Reader's Digest, and I really love it. It says, fishermen tend to be incurable optimists. I don't know, I'm not a fisherman, but fishermen tend to be incurable optimists. A guy asked his neighbor how the fishing was going. Better, he said, last week I went out for four hours and didn't catch a thing, but yesterday I got the same result in only three hours. (laughs) Now that's an optimist. I want more than optimism. How about you? Oh, you know, it's going to be okay. The world's not going to go up in flames. Everything's going to be hunky-dory. I want more than optimism. I want certainty. I want truth. 
I want a, a rock-solid uh, certainty that, that it's going to be okay. Now and forever, and we got it right here, and that's what we need to hear today. We really do. Amen? So if you came in here beat up, confused, mistreated, nervous, anxious, fearful, doubtful, fretting about something, promises are here. Claim them by faith. God wants you to. And he'll clear the deck. And then be encouraged. I don't care where our society and our world go. We're going to heaven because we have an anchor that holds within the veil. Dylan, would you lead us in that song this morning? Let's stand together.